When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And with a quick turn, skipper Alex Dock slams it in. There's Lindegaard making Forrest backpedal. Davis looking to help it into the path of Morris, expanding via the deflection. It's Aaron Davis. He could win it. He probably has won it for Yeovil. Oh, and it's an opening goal. What a start. Madden, after just six minutes, gives Yeovil the lead. Stansfield, good turn away from Trott. Goal. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Glovers Cast. I'm Ben. You'll hear from Dave on the podcast a little bit later on. There's no Ian on this episode, though. He is at Glastonbury Festival, sleeping in mud, making poor life decisions about the amount of cider someone can humanly drink or whatever the cool kids do. So I thought I'd get this podcast off to a bit of a flyer by introducing our guest for the week. I thought it was about time we took the guest level up a notch. and We've had a couple of really good ones recently. So I thought, how about if we had a current England international footballer who just so happens to be a Yeovil fan. That might be a decent place to get going. I'm delighted to welcome England and Team GB Paralympic goalkeeper Giles Moore to the Glovers cast. Giles, how are you, sir? Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for giving up your time. I know you're a, you're a busy man, so I do appreciate you taking a little bit of time to uh, to, to speak to us. Uh, it's a fascinating little story, yours. I've kind of semi-followed you on on social media and things for a while, and I thought there's a there's a there's a story to tell there because you're a Yeovil fan, a Yeovil lad, a Somerset boy, and you actually represent your country. I was thinking, I think you might be, and someone might correct me here. You might be the first guest on the podcast who is officially Twitter blue tick verified. So I think there's definitely a story to tell. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've been playing for England and Great Britain since since 2013. So, yeah, over, well, 62 caps from a country now. So, yeah, doing well. That is amazing. So before people start rummaging through and looking for um, Gareth Southgate's list, latest call-up list, which England team specifically do you play for? So I play for the England Para 7 side team, which is the Cerebral Palsy team. So I'm the, I'm the goalkeeper. Uh, been number one for you know since I've been there really so yeah amazing I'm gonna I'm gonna pick your brains on the England stuff in a little minute but I just want to rewind a bit you're you're a Somerset born lad are you chard educated is that right yeah so I went to school at Holyrood um live probably five miles away in a little village called Horton and Broadway um yes yeah, so that's where I grew up so I'm not a- far I'm, I'm, I'm an Ilminster lad, so Swan Mead and, and then into Wadham. So I grew up with a, a bit of a rivalry with Holyrood at all. So, yeah. Did you did you play locally for like a team in around the area? Is it Abishay's that, that part yes, of the world? That's, that's where I first started playing. Um, obviously played from a school team. Uh, that's actually where I got spotted for England. So I was playing for the school. Um, the teacher was like, you know, this lad, you know, we know we've got a disability. Where can he play? So they contacted the FA. The FA basically said, right, brilliant, get him on to this trial. Um, literally went to um, a team called Southwest Disability. Um, Tony Rich, who was the Overtown women's goalkeeping coach at the time, um, 
literally well fast tracked me basically to the England team really. So yeah, I've got lots of lots of thank from for that. Do you mind me asking a little bit about your disability and how your version your cerebral palsy affects you? Is it your, your hands and your legs that, that you have a disability with? So there's three different classifications in our sports. Okay. So there's the one which is basically diaplegia, so basically both legs affected. So that's basically what I am. So more than likely they're the most affected player on the pitch. And obviously, because both legs affect, it's more um, than normally the goalkeeper. That's not to say that teams decide to have, you know, a one out on pitch because they may be, you know, maybe a good player. Um, but obviously for our team, I'm the one on the goalkeeper. There's a class two, which is a hemiplegic, which is an arm and leg affected. Um, and then there's class three, which is very, very minor, basically. So their disability is quite hard to see. So that's normally your ex-pros who, you know, we've had players who played for Liverpool, who've had car accidents, um, players that play for Everton alongside Wayne Rooney. So, yeah, that's where you normally your ex-pros play as a class three. And the rules are that you can only have one class three on the pitch at all times and you always got to have a class one. So, yeah, you see, basically, yeah, I, I'm pretty lucky I play every game. You do, have you always been a goalkeeper, even when you were, you were a child? Naturally, you you became a goalkeeper in part because of the fact that your your legs were affected. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I sort of fitted the bill for being a goalkeeper. Really, got absolute shovels of hands. Long, you know, I've got the longest arms that you quite possibly ever see. So yeah, it just you know it just works. That you know it was the best place for me to play. Did you, when you were growing up as, as, as a child in Somerset, did you play for, for mainstream teams for quite a while, sort of into your teens? How, how, how did yeah, that work at yeah. Abishay's? Yeah, so I played up to the age of, ooh, must have been 20. Um, and then, yeah, just really got into the root of the England. Um, most of our players do play, you know, quite a good standard, high semi-pro standard. Um, however, because of my disability, I'm quite affected. So I've got to look after my ankles. Um, so especially, you know, the pitches around ours, you know, not particularly very good. Um, I'm used to billboards at um, St. George's Park. So, yeah, just really just keep myself fit. And, yeah, lucky I can just turn up really. And I, tr- I tr- obviously train once a week with the ball. Um, but that's, that's enough for myself. Yeah, you're right. Some of those pitches in and around Chard, I've played on a few for my, with my time at Coombe St. Nicholas. And, uh, yeah, some of those pitches, they're not good for anyone's ankles at all. I'll tell you that for no. nothing. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so as you were as you were growing up, and, and obviously you had you had this disability, but you continued to want to play football. You said it was your school teacher at Holyrood that kind of earmarked you as someone who could potentially go quite far. How did that process even sort of come about? Did they just kind of pull you to one side one day and go, "We'd like you to have a go at something a little bit more serious"? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly that. I, to be honest, I can actually still remember going down the corridor and two of the PE teachers actually discussing about me saying, you know, we've just contacted the FA and there's possibly this route for yourself. So yeah, that was basically how it happened. Just walking down the corridors, they've been speaking about me. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the first step on the ladder. Did you have any inclination that there was any route at that stage? Did you think that there was even such thing as an England setup or a Southwest disability team to even go to? No, no, to be honest, it, well, I just missed London 2012. So if it happened probably six months before, I'd have perhaps gone to another Paralympic Games, which is gutting. But then again, it probably happened because it was brought in the media and sort of the teachers were made aware of, you know, the team. So, yeah, 
bit unfortunate, but yeah, that was that's that's how we got on the ladder. I was reading an article um, that I think you you either wrote or were part of on the FA website, and you said that you when you were younger you did get uh, young kids can be quite brutal at times, and when you were playing you had opposition coaches kind of targeting you because of your because of your uh, disability. Was was that a, a struggle when you were playing at, at Avishay's or Widget School that, that others would see you as something of a weakness? Um, I must say. I- I'd always feel the pressure, as mad as it sounds, you know, I felt more pressure playing for, you know, you know, not a very good standard at all than actually playing at elite level because I sort of felt that I was, you know, I was the different one as such. So okay. I, I felt, you know, that's possibly the reason, you know, if, you know, the ball got played back to me and, you know, the striker was on my toes within seconds, you know, and it went, you know, and then he scored, then I sort of felt that that was sort of my fault and possibly because of my disability. Um, so yeah, when I found out that I could play disability football, um, it sort of, yeah, really changed, really, really changed my life really. Uh, but obviously the level back then, I was probably still, there was another lad at the time, uh, he played for Merritt and he was getting trials to Spurs and it was me and him sort of the best goalkeepers in the league. So it wasn't like, yeah, so it wasn't like I was in the, in the wrong pool of standard. I was, you know, still one of the best in the league. That's fascinating. And that, that, that sentence you said there about how that process changed your life, that was the headline on the article I was reading, actually, when I was doing a little research. And I thought that was, I thought that was really, really fascinating. Did it give you just a, a, new, a, a new lease of life, a new idea of, actually, I can go on this completely different di- direction that I didn't even know existed six months ago? No, no, it's 100% changed my life. You know, I've been to, been to Rio and the Paralympic Games playing in front of, you know, 20,000 people live on TV. I've uh, been to Argentina. Literally, I've been to so many countries. So uh, it is, you know, I'm 62 cats from a country, you know. It's um, every last dream, really. That is, that is. Do you remember about your your debut for England? What, what, how old were you? I was 16, 17. That's ridiculous. Any international sport, in any ability or disability or anything, to make your international debut, regardless of uh, event or category or whatever, sixteen years old. That is yeah. that is yeah. pretty incredible. Do you remember where it was? What the game was? Did you win? Did you lose? Um, some of proper first international like competitive was probably well. It was twenty fourteen actually. Was it twenty fourteen? Possibly twenty fourteen. Anyway, it was the European Championships, and that's actually the tournament I won best goalkeeper in Europe. So. I sort of um, did make a stamp of authority and, you know, the CP football world sort of say, you know, I'm, I'm here as such. So, yeah, that, that was probably the, yeah, that was my first tournament. So it was a good start, really. That's a heck of a start. I did read it. I did read another article, actually, where you were you were talking about your your best goalkeeper at the European Championships. And one of the lines was that you were heralded as the best in the world at that stage. Is in terms of CP nations... Where does England stand? Um, so the majority of all, well, all the all the best countries in the world are all professional. Um, so unfortunately, we are not we're not that that stage yet. Um, so probably fourth. I'd say realistically fourth. I think in the rankings we're fifth at the moment, but I think four. That's potentially we're we're looking for that bronze medal. So that that's what that's what we're aiming for. That's our next our next goal. Um, we are knocking on the door of the top countries, but um, yeah, we, we'll get there. Get there soon. 
does the um does the introduction and use of St George's Park that's obviously lauded as this incredible facility that we see so often with the men's and the women's team using on a daily basis you get to have a bit of that as well does having that central structure mean that you've just got that so much more of a, of a better chance to go on and and be successful yeah 100% obviously like you said St George's Park is out of this world it's been everywhere in the world and literally nowhere beats it so it is it's great obviously it's middle of the country burning upon Trent so we've got players coming down from Newcastle um our managers in well lives in Scotland so it's it's the you know it's ideal releases even for everyone do you mind me asking about your your family you have a you have a brother I saw a lovely little picture of you and your brother with Yeovil shirts on on the FA website from when you were very very young indeed how how proud are they that you go on and represent your country and do so in such a a positive manner for a a team that that can really do good for the world yeah obviously my family you know supporting me and they came out to watch me in Rio um Mum and dad are there near enough at every tournament coming watching me. So, it, well, I've got to thank them for a lot, obviously, helping me with my disability when I was younger and now. Um, so, yeah, I've got a lot to thank them for. So let me put you on the spot then a little bit because I uh, I did, like I said, I mentioned that you were considered one of the best in the world in your position. Are you? Are you the best goalkeeper in the world? Um, I would like to lot to think I'm yeah pretty much up there to be honest so I'd like to think I am anyway who who, who else is there then in, in CP football what other goalkeepers in the world should we be keeping on um so the, the Americans just won best goalkeeper in the world actually so it's it's, it's between me and him really so yeah the what, Americans when are you going to get the next chance to get one over on him then um so the Euros will be in um possibly Denmark next year so that's that's the one to um yeah, I need to go and win that one now. <laughs> I've got to ask about that 2016 Paralympic um, setup. Rio de Janeiro, Olympics, opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies, all the razzmatazz that comes with it. When do you get a phone call from a Paralympics Team GB coach that says you're going to Rio? What is that like? Yeah, it was unbelievable. So I was actually sat um, at my university's library, so Hartbury, um, sat there doing my um, doing my degree. I think it was my dissertation at the time had the phone call from the head of the performance director at the time which was jeff davis yeah and um yeah I had the call to say that i was going so yeah amazing then, feeling you get all the gear you get the bags and the zip-up jackets and all the branded gear and a lot of the whole works yeah well, literally you get probably three three suitcases full of full of clothes absolutely full of clothes it was yeah i've still got suitcases now there yeah they go everywhere with me to be fair amazing stuff how did the tournament go for you and for team gb um, so we were in a really tough group, really tough group. So we were actually known as, well, we were in the group of death as such. So to get out of it, you know, we, we had to really do well. Um, we did play well. Um, the first game of the Paralympic Games was actually us against Brazil. So you can imagine wow. what that was like. Um, so we actually didn't go to the opening ceremony because we were the, the first game the next morning. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so we, we drew one all with Brazil um, party poopers yeah 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 to be honest we needed to go out there and really win the game really because going into the next game we had Ukraine which they went on to they went on to win the tournament so we, we and then obviously Brazil they came second so we were in the hardest group possible 
sounds like it. And to be fair, the experience as a whole must have been pretty incredible. Am I right in thinking that this year was the World Cup as well? Is that the yeah. pinnacle of, of your of your sport? That it doesn't get any yeah. better than that? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So we've just been um just got back from SLU about a month ago. Um didn't go as well as we, we planned. Um that's football, I suppose. We're hoping to build on this year because obviously with COVID and everything, it's, we haven't really trained as much as a team as we probably should have done. Um, so hopefully in the coming future, we are going to be training a lot more as a team, hopefully get more funding to allow us to train more often because that's that's the only thing that's really stopping us from winning medals is time together. Um, on paper, we've got probably four world-class players we'll probably go in any other squad. So... Bear in mind, we're only seven aside, so yeah, we're getting there. It's, being seven aside, I mean, just in terms of the the, the setup, are the, are the pitches smaller, goals the same size? Is it how, how does it how does it set up? That's right. So the pitches are slightly smaller, so they're three quarters, so probably talking like twenty five yards shorter. Um, for the outfielders, literally, you've got to be unbelievable, unbelievably fit. Got to be fitter than you know normal mainstream football because there's no offsides. Wow. So literally, a picture of that size, you've got to be, yeah, you've got to be fit. Um, so throw-ins, you can under-roll it, um, or you can take a throw normally. Um, goals are smaller, um, so they're sort of like nine-a-side nine goals. Um, and obviously, the different classes in um, classification, that's the only changes, really. That's that's still, it's still, like you say, no offside means your defenders have got to be fit, big time. Um with regards to then sort of, you, you, you're not professional yet, your day-to-day life, are you associated with a club still or do you have to have a normal, regular human job? So, no. So, I haven't got a club. Um, so, most of our players now play high semi-pro. Um, the ex-pros, um, they don't play professional football anymore because of perhaps their injury or their stroke, um, etc. So, I'm actually a sports therapist. So, I've got my own business called Safe Hand Sports Therapy. Um, so that's what I do, do during the week. Um, yeah, and obviously play my football whenever I've got spare time. That's incredible. So um, in, so how often then do you train? You say you train once once every time with, with the ball, but then the rest of it is is not so much because of the fact that your ankles are are yeah. so affected. How how often do you get out on the pitch, full England gear, and actually get into the into the good stuff? So once a month, we got St. George's Park and play as a team. But obviously due to COVID and everything, it's that hasn't been, you know, hasn't been once a month. So realistically this year we haven't, I reckon we've had a total of probably 15 days together. And you went into a World Cup with 15 days worth of prep yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, most of the other countries were probably on the same playing field, um, even though they are full-time. I think COVID's definitely in their country has been a lot more worse than ours. So we're thankful for that. Um but this is the year of sort of you need to kick on now and you know get that medal. I saw I saw a little article you did where you spent some time at St George's Park with a young lad called Reese, and it got me thinking: Do you, in any way, shape, or form, and you not just you personally, but you as a team, you as a unit, do you consider yourselves role models for maybe those who have disabilities who are maybe struggling in some way, shape, or form? Do you see yourself on a bit of a a role model position as a group or even you individually? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, some of the stories that some of the lads have had, they're, you know, they're an inspiration to to anyone, really. So 
just trying to get those stories out there and you know help help the next generation of you know dis- disability footballers or just you know people with disabilities because you know they you know a lot of people have hard times out there so it's just trying yeah just let them know that, that they can go and play disability football and you know play the game they love in the so you made your debut 2014-ish give or take so what we've had six and a bit years I know we've had two years of COVID and all the chaos that that um, has brought with it but have you seen a change in the ease and the process of earmarking young players to get into into higher level sports albeit through the the disability schemes or whatever have you seen a difference in the way that you did it to the way it's available say now yeah yeah to be fair, the FA are doing a fantastic job of you know all over the media now that there's articles about our players and they're putting out in the media um yeah so we've got to thank the FA for what they're doing really because it's helping our sport Bit of a bit of a strange one then. Let's if, if if someone was listening to this now who maybe their child had cerebral palsy or thought that you know that they needed some support, is is the first step to go to a school PE teacher? Is the first step to go to a Sport England or something like that and say, what's available? Because there are things that are available, right? Definitely, yeah. Just basically just contact your your FA, some of the some sort of FA, Devon FA, etc. And yeah, they're they put you forward to you know a regional centre which would be a sort of a ladder stepping stone onto the England ladder. That's incredible. Now, we have asked you on here as much because you're a Yeovil fan more than anything else. So yeah. let me take you back to that picture of you and your brother in your Yeovil town shirts. Have you been a Yeovil fan your entire life? Oh, 100%. Yeah, our family, grandparents have worked for Yeovil, watched Yeovil since, you know, they, they were young. Um, yeah, that's all I've ever known, really. Who's your first green and white hero? Darren Way. So that actual shirt, um, I was six at the time, and obviously Darren Way was number six. So yeah, I can always remember that. That that photo, I had to dig that one out because that was the one I wanted to use for that article. Um, yeah, I can always remember that. Wow, that's incredible. That is amazing. Uh, so you've been. So how long have you been supporting since? What what kind of years do you kind of remember first getting into it? <sighs> I remember the days when you know Darren Way, Skivo, Jevon. Um, uh, Linda Gard, yeah, Chris Will. Chris Will's obviously a massive, you know, inspiration of mine. When I was younger, that's that's the person I looked up to. Well, I, I was I was exactly about to ask that. You're a goalkeeper. We've had some incredible goalkeepers at Yeovil over the years. You've only got to go back through some of the loans, let alone some of the guys we've yeah. had permanently. Which goalkeepers do you look back at as being the real stars at Yeovil? Well, like you said, we've had we've had some goalkeepers, haven't we? we so really um, for me. Definitely um, Chris Will, and you've had, you know, Begovic, you've had Hennessy, you've had, no. you just, you can go on. McCarthy. Marek Stetch. Marek you know, Literally, you, you can go on and on and on. Um, Sam Johnston, we've had him for a time. Literally, you could go on and on and on, couldn't you? The goalkeepers that we've had at the club. Um, but no, Chris Will, you know, Chris Will, he's um, obviously a local man to Yeovil as well. So, yeah, he was my inspiration. That's amazing. He'll be delighted to know that as well, I'm sure. Having been very fortunate enough to spend an hour in his company talking to him, anytime anyone says anything good about him, he almost can't believe it. So the fact that, you know, you're an, he's an inspiration to you and you've gone on to play for your actual country, is, is he would love that. And I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll do my best to make sure he uh, gets a chance yeah. to listen and hear in because that is incredible stuff. Um, 
Have you ever had a chance to work with with Yeovil or any of the goalkeepers in any way, shape or form? Yeah, so back before um, the Paralympics, I went and did a bit of training uh, with Yeovil. Um, oh, I can't remember the time. Uh, Johnny Madison was there. I can't remember who was the goalkeeper at the time. Arthur Krijak? Yes, yes, of course it was, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I did a bit of training with them, which was good. Um, obviously, Darren Way was the manager at the time. Uh, yeah, so it was fantastic. Um, in terms of you playing, um, we do need a goalkeeper coach at the moment. Do you fancy it? <laughs> yeah, no, I'd love it. <laughs> well, 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 do you know what? We will uh, we will include that as your application. That's it, done. Chris Hargreaves, yeah. give us a call. We'll sort it out. Not a problem at all. Um, let's talk a little bit about this season coming up then, because new manager, bit of a change of things. Marcus Stewart is back and all the rest of it. What do you make of Yeovil's work this summer? It's been fairly positive, it seems. Definitely. We've got a solid platform to start from, haven't we? Definitely. It's looking very hopeful. Um, you know, Chris is, you know, yeah, can't say any more, any better things, really. He's really, you know, the club's excited again, which is what every Yeovil fan wants. So, yeah, can't wait for it to get going, really. No, you're absolutely right. It's exactly how I feel. I guess I've got to ask you about Grant Smith, one of our standout players last season for me. So, so solid between the sticks. We know he's got an error in him, but I think he's so, so good that we can over, uh, overlook those. Um, I guess I can safely ask one of the best goalkeepers in the world for your opinion on Grant Smith. What do you make of him between the sticks? Yeah, no, good keeper. Really good keeper. Great shot stopper. Mm. Um, yeah, just technically a good keeper. So we're lucky to have him. Very lucky to have him. I think so. I, I'm I'm a teeny tiny bit surprised we've we've kept him for as long as we have. I think I thought he might have been one that someone at a higher level might have taken a bit of a punt on. Um, I I find your story of being a young lad from Chard turned England and GP Paralympic international to be a huge story of inspiration. I've 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 enjoyed reading articles and things about you and stuff. Is there a place you think for yourself maybe to become? Again, I have apologies if I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. But would you like to consider at some point in the future some sort of ambassadorial role, for example, if the Community Sports Trust came to you and said, hey, we'd love to get you to talk to some, some kids, some youngsters in the area, or the club wanted you to go along and, and do a bit more training. Would you like to get involved in some way, shape or form? Because we don't have many England internationals associated with the club, I'll tell you that. No, yeah, like you said, that would be, yeah, amazing. Obviously, you know, Yeovil's, you know, the club very close to my heart, so... Yeah, I'd absolutely love that. And obviously, I'll go around to schools now, um, do talks, um, sort of, you know, give a little bit, give, give a little bit back, um, tell them my story, because there's not many people who've had as many operations as I've had. And um, yeah, sort of being on the lows, but also on the highs um, can sort of tell that story. Let's look forward to for you then over the next season 62 caps is there a is there a record are you closing in on a record either for goalkeepers or for players as a whole um so michael barker um a player that is just retired from us actually he's he's in the 100 plus category so i'm not too sure if you know but st george's part they've got a cap ball okay um so they've got 50 caps 100 caps and then 150 caps plus and i'm actually on the, obviously the 50 caps at the moment so just said in my name, there's the likes of Harry Kane, um, Sterling. You can go on, on and on and on. So, yeah, amazing achievements. So that's one of my claim to fame when, you know, when I say I'm an England player and I show my profile picture and it's me pointing at my name and there's like Harry Kane, a couple of names below. So, they are pretty cool. So, he's on 100 caps, Michael Barker. So, you know, my aim is to get on 100 caps. 
So coming up then, you say Denmark potentially next year, and yeah. that's the Euro Championships? Euros, yeah, that's correct, yeah. So if you take out the Americans and the things like that, where, where do England stand in terms of being involved, really? Are we going for, are we going to try and win the thing? Yeah, yeah, no, we're definitely, we, we've got a very good chance of, you know, getting into, you know, our, our goal probably will be getting the final. So it's all, all down to us. How do we keep... How do we keep track? How uh, I, I'm I'm going to keep track. How do we keep track? Who do we who do we follow on social media? Where do we go? So now the you know the main England Twitter, um, they tweet an awful lot now about us. Um, so that's about the best way, really, in Twitter. Amazing. Uh, in terms of then uh, the coming season, will you be getting to Hewish Park as often as you can? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, as, as soon as you know, I, I'm not playing with England. I haven't got work. Yeah, I'll be. I'll be going to Hewish Park in a few away days. Amazing. Listen, um, I, I realise I've kept you already for, for well over half an hour on, on, a, on a Tuesday where you're, uh, you're away with family. So I, I don't want to keep you going much for much longer. I just want to say genuinely, thank you so much for, for spending your time. I think it's an incredible story. If there are Yeovil fans out there that want to, to, to follow you, to, to, to follow the England CP team, I think I think Yeovil Town as a football club and as an area should be very, very proud of the fact that we have someone on the England cap wall of fame. So um, from me personally, from the Glovers cast and from from those of us listening, I just want to say a huge thank you for joining us and, and, and telling us your story. No, thank you very much, Ben. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. If you ever want to come back and you want to come tell us about how you win the Euros, we're more than happy to have you back. Giles, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Sam. Hello and welcome to the Glovers Cast live from Glastonbury. Here to talk to you about all things Yeovil Town this week are David Coates and Mr. Ben Barrett. Ian Perkins just couldn't help himself. He couldn't stay away, could he? He no. could not stay away. First things first, a huge thank you to Giles Moore for giving us his time on a very busy Tuesday evening. He was a tough man to nail down, but we really appreciate him giving us a good half an hour of his time there. A really fascinating fascinating story one we're definitely keeping a closer attention to as he uh, goes and wins Yeovil Town fans everywhere a bit of uh, European gold hopefully next year in Denmark so we really appreciate his time now time to get on to some news some views and some GCQs and for that I'm going to need yous David Coates how are you sir good evening you've made that real rhyme up on the cuff didn't you there Uh, beautiful wasn't it that Beautiful. was that was very good. You see, not that's what we pay him the big bucks for. Who's getting paid, paid big bucks? bucks. Yeah. No, we don't. All right. Very, very few bucks, if any. Well, yeah. It's very warm where where, where I am. Is it warm Muggy. where you are? Muggy. Muggy, yeah. Sticky. You think he's sticky in Glastonbury? I probably. Probably yeah. muddy. Yeah, it will be, won't it? Not a fan. Not a fan. I genuinely could think of nothing worse than being at Glastonbury Festival right now. Really? Awful. What, what if you were in some kind of um, structure or like a camper van or something like that? Do you think you'd get away with that? No? Nope. nope. I think Watts is in a camper van. I think the Watts, the Wattses, as we can call them now, are, uh, in, are in a camper van. But there we go. Not anyway. Me, not for they, me. They've missed out, haven't they? They've missed they out on, on all the news. Well, exactly. And uh, we've uh, got to go back like uh, a whole week for the previous podcast to be outdated within minutes again. 
Um, you said, what was what was the quote, Dave? I'd be very surprised if Charlie Wakefield stays with us. I'm, I can't see team. it. I can't see it happening. I can't see it happening. If one to move close to home, um, all that. You know, this goes to show you, as 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 I I had no I no clue about what Adi Yusuf will become. I've got no clue about where Joe where Charlie Wakefield is going either. So uh, yeah, but very pleased to be wrong again. Yeah, isn't that the case? I think to finish off last season's sort of comings and goings, and to have it all sewn up, all sorted by the Friday, the middle Friday in June. Yeah. is almost unheard of. And I think we go back to the poll that we did and where we said that Chris Hargreaves has got pretty much every decision right. And I think the vast majority of fans um, wholeheartedly agree and that Charlie Wakefield staying is a little bit of an icing on a potentially quite positive cake. Yeah, we had uh, 94% of the 245 people who voted. Are you happy or unhappy with the work Chris Hargreaves has done so far? 94%, 230, uh, 245 said they were happy. And the unhappy people were just bloody miserable, aren't you? <laughs> bloody miserable. Although, although we're saying, well, he hasn't, he hasn't played a game yet. Well, OK, you can be happy or unhappy with him after you play the game. Just ask you, it's a month in. That seems like a reasonable time, doesn't it? He's had, a, he's had his first month. And yeah, I think if we were writing down at the end of the season, when that final whistle went to Aldrin, if you'd have written down a list of the players you wanted to keep and the players that you would be happy to be released, I think it pretty much would have been exactly what we've seen, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's probably cases to be made for... Alex Bradley, Jordan Barnett had different cases that you, you could have seen both of them staying. You could have seen maybe one or two others um, maybe leaving for higher divisions and you would have been completely OK with it. So there maybe were other circumstances that we'd be saying, OK, fair enough, and not been too disheartened. But for me, every single box has been ticked. And, and as we've said a number of times, actually, way back in December under Darren Saal, we were saying things like, this is a core group worth keeping together and building on. Well, that's a fairly big, sizable tick in that box. We've kept them together. Now, now comes the bit on top. We now need to start building on what we already have, because there's no doubt this lot are good enough to be kicking about the playoffs with a bit of help, a bit of depth, and a, maybe a goal or two. We need cherries upon cherries upon icing, don't we? That's what we need. We do need plenty of icing and plenty of cherries and very few soggy bottoms. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's what Ian's got in the fields of Glastonbury <laughs> instead, yeah. yeah. But yes, more than happy with that. So then I suppose the, the building begins and it has begun this week. We have signed a player. We've done a signing. Uh -huh. And I don't know an awful lot about this fella, Ollie. Hulbert, 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 maybe, <laughs> maybe it's French, Hulbert, Olivier Elbert, I don't know, we um, don't know. No, I, I'm going to guess of all of the ones that you said there, it's not that last one, but uh, oh, yeah. I would quite like it to be Hulbert. Yeah, in a Bristol accent though. Hulbert. Hulbert, <laughs> yeah. Hulbert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but we don't know a lot about him, do we? And uh, Bristol Rovers fans don't know a lot about him either. Do Gloucester City fans know a little bit about him? I think Gloucester City fans probably do know a bit about him, yeah. Do you happen to know any Gloucester City fans? 
Um, well, I did bump into a guy the other day, Dave. Dave Jones, his name was. So he's a Gloucester City fan, yeah. How about, shall we have a word with him? I think that seems like a wise thing to do. And then we'll come back. We'll talk about the players that are rumoured, a couple of strikers from non-league, and, and take some GCQs. What do you reckon? Sounds like a plan to me. Okay, so this is Dave, and I am joined by another Dave. This is Dave Jones, a Gloucester City supporter and volunteer. So, Dave, uh, welcome to the Glovers Cast, first and foremost. Thank you very much. And uh, and we've obviously brought Dave on to talk a little bit about our new signing, uh, Ollie. Hulbert, who I'm going to have to I have to make sure I get his name right before I uh, before the season starts. Anyway, so so go on, start start off with that, Dave. How am I saying his surname? I believe it's Ollie Holbert. Holbert, Holbert, right? Okay, I think I think. Right, we'll go with that. We'll go with Holbert. Yeah, because um, we contacted some Bristol Rovers fans and asked them, uh, what's this lad out of your academy like? We've just signed him. And they said, we don't really know you. Probably try and find a Gloucester City supporter and ask them what, what they <laughs> thought. But uh, Ollie was uh, was there with you at uh, at Gloucester for a good spell uh, in the season just gone. Is that right? I mean, what can you tell us about him? He was, yeah, he arrived. Um he arrived to sort of bolster bolster our squad. We were really struggling. We were right down the bottom, um, in the bottom three. Um, and we were very, very sort of high up front. We were suffering from quite a lot of injuries and our manager had left. Um, James Rowe had gone and taken uh, and took over at Chesterfield. So, I uh, remember him. He, yeah, he took over. Yeah, we remember him. And uh, he... <laughs> <laughs> he... Um, he uh, took a quasi Asante, where he took five, five or six of our players with him that he'd brought when he arrived. So we were left in a bit of a a bit of a quandary, really. We didn't have much of a squad left, or certainly lost a lot of the class ones, and we were right down the bottom, struggling. But uh, yeah, Lee Mansell came in, um, our now manager, who's a bit of a Bristol Rovers legend, and. Uh, He'd been working with the academy at Bristol Rovers, so he was he had uh, a good knowledge of um, some of the younger players that were there, and he brought in he brought Ollie in, um, brought Ollie in to try and uh, to try and fire us up the league, and that's certainly certainly what he did. Yeah, I mean the one thing from a, a Oval Town's perspective that we really struggled with last season was that that uh, out and out goal scorer or centre forward had a lot of players who um, were well, either centre forwards who weren't particularly uh, impressive and uh, and a lot who were maybe wide players that were brought in uh, to a more central position but Ollie's position is centre forward is it he's a sort of yeah, a number very, nine very much so he's a number nine yeah I mean we've had we we've had a lot of young young strikers um, on loan from various league clubs be it I mean, we had one from Southampton last season. We've had numerous ones from Forest Green Rovers and Cheltenham, which are obviously very local to us. And I think when they're young, a lot of the time, they don't realise the physicality of the Conference North. I mean, it is a, it's a tough old, tough old yeah. division. Um, there's a lot of um, centre-backs who've been around the block a few times and, and the youngsters can get can get bullied, but... Um, Oldie was a bit different when he arrived. He was by far the best lonely I've seen um, that's come to us. Uh, 
And when he when he first arrived, he just could not do a thing wrong. And like every chance he got was in the back of the net. He scored nine goals in, I think, nine goals in seven or eight games in six weeks. Wow. Right. Um, which made a hell of a difference. I mean, it boosted us up sort of six, seven places. We were beating teams that that um, we wouldn't have been before because we just weren't putting chances away. He was playing up front alongside uh, Matt McClure. Who, okay, yeah, he's an experienced head, isn't he? Yeah, he's an excellent player, but he's, he's been suffering with injuries last season. Um, but they they struck off a really good good partnership and uh, they were both, you know, him. Ollie was outscoring Matt McClure probably two, two to three to one, I should imagine. And um, yeah, he was on fire, absolutely on fire. Okay. And so he is the kind of uh, striker, by the sounds of it, would benefit from having that more experienced head alongside him. I, I'd yeah, imagine it would be a bit so. much to expect him to jump straight into the National League and start banging goals in. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. say so. I mean, he, he's definitely got the potential to be the main man, but... Well, I think the the why the the reason he he did so well for us initially is because he wasn't carrying the burden really. He was the he was um, sort of the second striker. Although he you know he played you know off the shoulder of the centre back and he was very much a number nine. Matt McClaw can drop in deep and sort of thread balls through, and he was he was yeah a lot of them were one on ones or just arriving at the right time, the right place, and just sticking in the back of the net, but. Uh, that initial period, he couldn't do a thing wrong. Okay, well, certainly sounds positive with regards to someone who knows where the back of the net is. Obviously, as you say, we can't expect too much too soon. But uh, there's one other player that I wanted to ask you about. Again, someone whose name seems to have been linked with us and probably because of our uh, new manager, Chris Argrees, Bristol Rovers connections, similar to Lee Mansell through the the academies. Lucas Tomlinson, who appeared to have had a, um, a spell with you, and he's more of a midfield player. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, he did it the other way around, really. When he arrived, he was sort of in and out of the team and he was um, not, you know, not our first choice. Bernie said, stretch the imagination. Um, he's an attacking, attacking midfield player, sort of links up, you know, get, he, you know, he gets forward. But later on in the season, he really, he really blossomed and scored a, scored a few goals near the end. He's good, you know, excellent little player. Okay, and he's more of a sort of a creative player in the middle, or is he a wide player, or where, where does he? He, he operated on both those for us, really. I mean, he, we played him out on, out on the wing, but also, also he played in sort of in the whole number ten sort of thing, playing just behind the behind the strikers. And uh, yeah, he's quick. He, you know, much like Ollie, they both give absolutely hundred percent. And uh, yeah, really, yeah, good, good youngsters, really good lads. Fantastic. Well, uh, can't let you go without asking you a little bit about Kevin Dawson. He's obviously still a legend at Yeovil for his his time, not least uh, <laughs> scoring in the semi final against Sheffield United when we we, we made it through to the um, uh, to the to the playoffs into the championship. How's he getting on? Yeah, Kev's Kev. Yeah, he's a great great professional. He was our player of the season last year. Um, yeah, top top fella. And um, yeah, he's probably our he's probably our standout player without a doubt. Still, um, yeah, we love him and we hope he sticks around for a long time. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Right, okay, we'll give him all our best when you speak to him next, won't you? He's still still do. a hero, as I say. He is.
Brilliant. He's my hero. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Dave, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And um, yeah, hopefully uh, I'll get uh, Ollie's uh, surname sorted by the start of the season. And we can be talking <laughs> about him banging some goals in, but we'll, well see. We'll keep, we'll keep an eye out for him. I hope he does well. Have, have a good season. Thanks very much, and you. Cheers now. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks to Dave and Dave yeah. for having a little chat about Oli Ulbert, as he shall yeah. now be known. Uh, I, I, I struggled with his name a bit there, didn't I? Yeah, Hulbert. I want to call him Hulbert, but I think go with Holbert. Holbert, that's what I'm going to go with. And you can Holbert. go with... You, you can go, go with, with Holbert. I'll go with Holbert. Holbert, yeah. Olivier Holbert. Yeah. Olivier but... Holbert, our new French striker. Yeah, absolutely. But he sounds like maybe not someone who's going to come piling in and get us 20 goals this season. But it certainly sounds like someone who um, could see having a role to play next season. And one of those spoken so much to him when we spoke to the manager the other week. He said he wanted to polish up some uh, rough diamonds and, uh, you know, just be one of those clubs that, that builds those players and develops them. Sounds like a lad who, who could do. He's obviously talking about him in a lower division than we're in, but everyone's got to start somewhere, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I, not a bad first signing, I would say. No, he, he feels to me like the someone who's going to add some of the depth that we were crying for last time, where, where we had to play Rude, uh, Ruben Reed or Adam Yusuf. We had no choice because they were the only two real options. He now becomes the option, possibly, for a maybe more senior striker, for maybe some loanees who have come in with a bit more experience, etc. So um, I don't mind it. Good luck to the lad. If he can score a couple of goals and make a bit of an impression, he'll do fine for me, wee little Frenchman. Brilliant. Right. So, as I alluded to, we have been linked to a couple of non-league strikers. Um, trying to polish up a couple of uh, diamonds, as you say, from non-league. Uh, Dave Smith, who... Another is, Dave. Yeah. Another Dave. There's a lot of Daves doing the round. Uh, David Smith is a striker from... Buxton Invicta, if Buxton I remember rightly. Invicta, that's right. He's in. And then there was the Paul Town striker, Tony Lee, uh-huh. uh, which apparently we have been priced out of by the fact that uh, Paul Town want their cash up front and we want to pay it in instalments slash have some Brucey bonuses. Do you think it's it's a it's a, a real effort for the scouting of of those management group to try and find someone possibly from a from a lower league that's that's done it before, a la Reese Murphy did at that time. Is it? A, I'd say it probably is a challenge, but um, I don't know. I mean, you look at the three that we've got uh, in in our management team. So Chris Hargreaves, Chris Todd, and, uh, and and Marcus Stewart. Obviously, their West Country connections are are obvious. But uh, I would like. I would probably think they're people who probably know a few people and uh, could probably find these kind of players now. Whether trying to think what kind of connections they've got to because that's Kent isn't it Folkestone so uh, yeah I'm not sure what connections they've got down there but um, yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised if particularly someone like uh, Chris Argreaves who is uh, is BT Sport connections probably does know a few people who know a few people so uh, where, where it may not be an actual scouting network in terms of fully paid up members of star I, I, I bet you there's there's good relationships there isn't there that I could uh, we could draw information from. I wonder if we're going to see a few of these uh, faces come pre-season in trialist forms, trialist A, trialist B, etc., etc. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're looking forward to uh, 
looking forward to seeing him to yeah. uh yeah to, to seeing him on what when's the first friendly okay sort of middle of july is it yeah give or take i think we're a, a few weeks away yet i um, mean it's crazy really how early everything is starting up again isn't it with uh, the EFL teams have been back in pre-season for about a week week and a half um, yeah. so yeah nice it's just nice I can't believe we're a week away from July and we're kind of set <laughs> it's yeah. we've got we've got more than one goalkeeper what is this madness <laughs> we can almost put out an 11 um, not got a goalkeeper coach yet as far as we know but uh, no. more, well, we've got a couple Giles, of goalkeepers Giles did apply so oh, right. uh, Giles, Giles has basically applied on the podcast right, today. Yeah. So right. if you need anybody to, to hold the fort, Chris, Giles has made himself available. There you go. He's, He's listening. He's yeah, listening. exactly. So, um, yeah, all feels all feels quite good. We need more. I don't think anyone doesn't think that we can start the season tomorrow morning, but we need more. But it's, it's a nice, calming feeling that <laughs> I haven't felt for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we all know that the end of the June plus the start of uh, July, that's when a lot of contracts expire and start to free players up. So, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there is more to come. And what I would say is with all these EFL teams going back early, the managers are making their decisions earlier. So they're deciding, actually, this isn't for us. This guy isn't for us. Actually, we need to strengthen this department, which knocks everyone else down a bit of a pecking order. So I wonder if things like loans might start occurring earlier this season because teams in the higher divisions are starting to make their decisions on their squads and their uh, sort of numbers a little bit earlier. So hopefully we won't have to wait until the very last minute for loans. But Chris did say to us that he was going to use his full complement. So I guess that means we can add five to the tally whenever that comes around. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, they're making decisions on players and waiting for other managers to make decisions on players is uh, was something he was waiting for. So maybe by the time we get back into pre-season in a week or two's time, some of those decisions will be made by football league clubs and uh, we can start uh, doing some doing some business. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice to be in a position, though, where we don't need we don't need a whole new squad. We just need yep. to add bits and pieces on top, whether that be permanent or loanees. So that's good. I no doubt this will be out of date within about five seconds flat. And we'll hear <laughs> on Friday yeah. morning that we've signed four new players and we've not signed so-and-so or whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, we'll keep yep. an eye on things, rumours yep. and all that shenanigans. Um, should we take some GCQs? We do GCQs, yeah, and uh, and we've actually got one because uh, talking about players on the move uh, tonight, uh, Thursday night, as we're recording, uh, last night, as you're listening to it, if you're listening to it Friday morning, that is, uh, Ruby Reed has signed for Western Supermare after his release by Yeovil Town. So our first GCQ is from Hewish Hugh, uh, saying, as you're recording tonight, will Ruben Reed be the best back-to-goal striker in the Southern League is in the Southern League or the Southern League has ever seen? Or is he simply stealing the Seagulls' chips? Um, he's got to be too good for that level, hasn't he? I mean, we may have we may have described one or two of his performances last season as having a bit of a Western Super, but surely <laughs> a Western Super nightmare. <laughs> surely, surely he's too good for that level. Well, what is that level? It's two below us, is it? Western Supermare? They is they're that- the Southern Premier, Southern League Premier. Is that the equivalent of the Isthmian League that another Yeovil Town rumour um, has departed to today? Is that the same level? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, because you have Southern League, don't you? Which is what Western are in. Isthmian League and then the Northern Premier. So, yeah, I think it's below 
not Conference North and Conference South. No, so. Southern Premier South. Oh, the Southern Premier South. That's a, that's a division below that, then. So that's level seven slash eight of the pyramid. Oh, okay. All right. That's outrageously low, isn't it? Well, and, and yeah, I have I noted, know. I have noted, they are in the Somerset Premier Cup. He's coming back to haunt us. <laughs> Guaranteed. Yeah, I'm. I'm not that worried. Let's put it that way. Okay, right. that's probably given you my 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 thoughts on the matter as well, doesn't it? Okay, I, I uh, think he's probably too good for that division. I'll say that. We'll see. We'll see. Um, we'll judge him on goals at that division then, shall we? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, judge him on his goals. Right. Next question. James Drew, uh, GCQ. What style of football would you like to see from Yeovil next season? Exciting games, but losing or drawing 5-4. Or dra- drawing or losing. Yeah, you can't you can't draw 5-4, can you? I don't think. Drawing, um, comma, yeah. or losing. Yeah, right. yeah, drawing or losing 5-4. Or safe, but... Boring, scraping 1-0 wins. Gotta uh, it's got to be the excitement, isn't it? You'll want the swashbuckling, blowing teams away. Everybody everybody loves that kind of uh, that kind of game, don't they? Don't they, yeah, Ben? We're not, we're not drawing and losing them. Uh, but not, not every game, but, uh, but, the, but, but the odd few, I yeah, reckon. I think, I think I'd like to see us have a bit of a go. I really, yeah. really would. If we've got those exciting players, we've got Knowles in, we've got Wakefield in, we've got a strikers who are going to make things happen or will hopefully go and get strikers who can make things happen. A settled squad that's kind of in together now. Go on, go and have a crack. Who knows? Okay. Yeah. No, I'd agree. I'd like to see us um, playing some playing some 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 good football. Um, and uh, today, and Ben, I know you've picked up on this. There's been a bit of teasing, hasn't there? Do we describe it as teasing on the uh, on the Oval Town social media channels? Do we think it's teasing? There's there's, there's been there's been some suggestive kit based <laughs> tweets. Oh, kit based! I'm glad you added kit based because people were rushing towards social media <laughs> trying to find out what on earth had gone on with suggestive tweets featuring uh, Josh Staunton. But but yeah, so um, a question actually on that very subject from Rich Wilcox Smith. Do you think a new kit and badge will be unveiled tomorrow? Well, we've already said something's got to outdate this, isn't it? Um, uh, reasons for the new badge, I hear you ask. Well, with the pictures yesterday of Staunts at Pittard and a new badge shown on a picture with the new signing earlier in the week, I wouldn't be surprised. But then I noticed that Mr. Samuel Collard um, has replied that I can assure you, there you go, he's already putting his retraction statements in. I can assure you the badge will remain the same for next season. As for the kit, keep your eyes peeled on our channels over the coming day. That's spoken like a true communications professional, isn't it? Our channels. Correct. The, 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 the Twitter feed, that's what he means, is it? So the picture that he's referring to, if you go back to the signing of Ollie Ulbert, uh, Oliver Ulbert. Uh, oh yeah, Olivier Ulbert. Um, there's the there's the little picture of the quote. As soon as I heard about the interest, it was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. Mm. On that there, there is a little circle with some gloves and a slightly older font than the one we used last season. So there is a slight change of of, of appearance. And then today. Um, we saw a Preston Plucknett shirt. No, Martel Waterman's, wasn't it? Before that, before that. Oh, was it? been two. Oh, right, right. So I there's saw been the... a Preston Plucknett one, yeah. and then a picture of Josh Staunton outside Pittards of Yeovil, mm. wearing the Martel Waterman's kit as well, with uh, number 16 on its back. So um, suggesting either just some uh, good old-fashioned 
retro merch could be on its way or two striped stripe shirts. Maybe the stripes coming back. And I've never had a Yeovil side with the striped kit before. Dave, you've probably had several. What do you remember <laughs> of the striped kits? I do. I did have a Mart at Waterman's and I did have a Preston Plotnick post office shirt. Yes. So I've, I had both of those. But I remember it was when we went down uh, from the conference and Oops. into the Isthmian League or the ISIS League, as it is now. Can't call it that these days, obviously. But um, and I remember Graham Roberts changed the kit because he said that stripes made teams look too weak. And he wanted his team to look solid, so he went to a solid green and uh, green shirt with a uh, with yeah white collar and trim, I think. But um, but yeah, so he changed it from stripes. But I did, uh, I did, I did have a couple of them. They they yeah, bring a bring a wave of nostalgia with them. Very nice indeed. Like I said, I've never I've never experienced you over with a stripe. I've seen a hoop, seen a hoop or three, yeah. but uh, never a stripe. I'm intrigued to see whether or not that's the route we're going down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's another question from uh, Robin Batchelor, and he has said, what is your favourite non-YTFC football shirt that you own? And is there a story behind it? He's been wearing, uh, I have been wearing my Costa Rica 2017 away shirt recently to celebrate them qualifying for the World Cup. I got it as a souvenir for myself when I was back packing there five years ago i mean i'm disappointed wow. that robin hasn't got a woking shirt but, oh um, david he uh <laughs> but um but yeah do, do, you, do you own uh, another shirt that you particularly like that's not a yoga town shirt i i i did i i've no idea whether or not i still own it but i own own slash owned an adelaide united shirt with a wusu nine on the back oh right because okay. he left us to, to join there and i remember because my mum not long after he went there he my mum went to Adelaide and right. I said, Oh, pick me up a, an Adelaide United shirt with a Wusu nine on the back. So yeah, I own slash owned it. And I am the very fortunate owner of, in fact, Dave, you can see it. That is a signed England shirt just about there. You can't. Oh it. yeah, I can. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Is, I see it. I won that in a competition. So that's pretty right. cool. That was the, I have no idea what year it is, but some very famous signatures are on that shirt. So there's a couple of those, but actually I'm more, I'm, I do own a couple of signed Yeovil shirts as well. And, and they're more special. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what about you? What about you? I don't really own shirts. Don't really no. have a lot of shirts. No, no. I, I, had a, I remember I had a lot of oval shirts, but there was a... Um, I think it was when Jimmy was there, was um, was press officer. I think they did one of those kits to Africa uh, oh, yeah. donations, and I remember I gave all mine then, I think. I gave, I gave all mine away. But uh, mm. yeah, uh, apart from I've got Tom Bradbury's uh, uh, playoff semi-final losing um, kit, which I bought quarterfinal quarterfinal. Yeah. The eliminator um, drive. Uh, yeah. So I bought that uh, in whatever it was. But yeah, Tom Bradbury now Cheltenham Town, I think, isn't Shelton he? Town. Yeah. Yeah. I do own a, a an ice hockey jersey. That's quite yeah. cool. I went yeah. when I was lucky enough to go to Canada. I saw the penultimate ever game of the St. John's ice caps. They were being folded because they were, they were a franchise of the Montreal Canadiens and they can just pick and choose where their franchise teams are. So the St. John's ice caps were just being folded up by their parents, basically, and being moved somewhere else. And so I saw their penultimate ever game. I couldn't see the final ever game because it was completely sold out, obviously. But I saw their penultimate ever game and picked up a St. John's ice caps ice hockey jersey. So that's there you cool. go. 
Right, we'll have to, we we'll have to, uh, you have to put a picture up of that somewhere. But, but on the on the question, uh, it's got kind of jumping back and forth here now because Stony has our Stony Palace Glover has asked uh, stripes on a shirt, yes or no? I'm not against it. I'm not against it. But are you for it? I want to see it because, mm. like, there is one, and someone has replied to that question with what looks like a rather tacky Hummel one and I wouldn't just want that I'd want it to be a little bit classier than that and it needs to look good with Jurassic Fibre which is a very horizontal sponsor across the front of it so not always easy to get that right okay I reserve um, judgment but I'm not against it what about you uh no I, I quite like it but I think I, I'm overwhelmed by nostalgia I think I'm thinking Mickey Spencer Paul Wilson batty i'm thinking that kind of that kind of era so that was that was my 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 formative formative years as a oval town fan were when we last in in green and white stripes so maybe it's that maybe it's that, that i'm going um so we've got a few questions about football rather okay. than football shirts uh so we've got uh i'm gonna combine finley charles uh charles sorry Finley Charles and Mark Spalding's question um, because Finley asked if we get if we get a 20 goal a season striker that we all want do we have enough to get in the playoffs providing we recruit well elsewhere and Mark Spalding asks uh, will we sign enough quality players to not be a bottom half side well I guess 20 goal a season striker would be wouldn't it yeah, I, I, we didn't. I, I've said this before on the pod. I don't feel like we needed a huge amount more last season. We just needed that one striker. And that is such a big part, I know. And it's such a big role and so difficult to find. And I appreciate that. It's a pretty big, of all the bits to miss, that's a pretty big one. Um, but add the 20 goal the striker in, add the depth. We did miss out on things like suspensions and the odd injury last season. So we are going to need some depth. But add five loans onto what we've already got, add a striker or two, add a bit more in, add uh, Chris Hargreaves' son. <laughs> and, you know, you, you're starting to see a bit of depth there. He wants to work with a small squad. He's already said that exclusively to us. Go and listen to the podcast back. And I think we are going to see a slightly smaller squad. So if he's going for quality over quantity, that's what he set his stall out for. I don't feel like we're a million miles away, but we do need that striker. I think I remember saying many times last season that I thought our oh, 11, our starting 11 was a playoff side, playoff starting 11. So I think if we could get that that person in, we heard Dave, the Gloucester City strike um, fan, sorry, they're saying about how um, uh, the lad, Hubert, um, played <laughs> well uh, alongside an experienced striker. So, yeah, you could think, uh, uh, not Ruben Reed, but somebody who's, who's, who's been around a bit, um, I, I don't know where he is now, but that um, Danny Newton, who did he sign first? Was he did he go to Solihull? Can't remember. He was one that I, I'm sure he was linked to us when um, uh, when Saul was a, was around. But yeah, somebody somebody a bit like that. He's got 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 a bit of uh, history behind him. But there's loads of players out there, isn't there? I know people keep getting worried about oh, you know, so and so's gone to, um, yeah. Woking, um, and but uh, there's loads of players out there. I'm still quite confident we can get players in. But oh, um, yeah. yeah. Um, but another question from Finley, who asks: uh, Obviously, the EFL fixtures are out today. Um, so, who do we want first game of the season? 
Who would you who, like first? Who, who do we want or who do you think we're going to get? Uh, I guess that's the same question, eh? Um, well, no, because I think we'll get probably Dorking at home or Dorking away, probably, and it'll be on telly and we'll draw two all. Um, I want, I think I, my, the, my little boy's holiday off school coincides quite nicely with a bit of time I've got off work. So I'd le- like at least one Northern away day. Can I have York or Gateshead, please, quite early on away, first up? That'd be good. Halifax? That's, that's a nice yeah, place for do. Yeah, that'll yeah. do. Yeah, that'll yeah. 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 Okay. Okay, yeah. Um, I'd take one of... Yeah, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take some of my life. I was going to say Grimsby, but it's not going to happen anymore, is it? No. Nope. So, yeah, Scunthorpe, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe not as good fish and chips in Scunthorpe as they in Grimsby, but yeah, somewhere, yeah. somewhere up north I'll go for. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think I want our first home game to be a nice, comfortable win, not yeah. one of those awkward ones. Don't get a newly promoted side, just get a rubbish team early doors. There you go. That's all we want. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't say who the rubbish team is, otherwise it'll, uh, yeah. Um, so uh, we, we've actually got a question from someone called I Perky. I don't know him. Ian, apparently his name is. Yep. Um, probably uh, drunk. So, yeah, probably drunk somewhere. Uh, so who would be the artist you would most like to see in the searing heat slash soggiest mud? So I think he's saying to us, who would you like to... Um, uh, who would you like to see at Glastonbury Festival? And Marcus Duncan has already come back with a picture of Fever Pitch. I don't know where he got this picture from, but there are the uh, the three, I was going to say lovely ladies of Fever Pitch um, there. Wasn't it four? Res- resplendent. Four, sorry, four, yeah. Like, so, so which yeah. one isn't a lovely lady? Well, I was going to say, maybe I'm the one who's drunk and I can, yeah, I can see, uh, yeah, see, you usually see more when you're drunk, don't you? But uh, yeah, so artist, is, uh, are you are you much of a music fan? I know you've said you wouldn't go to Glastonbury, but um, when he said artist, I was thinking Vincent Van Gogh. I've no right. idea. Um, yeah. No. Um, so if he's talking about Glastonbury, I, I have no clue to be honest with you. I've seen very my my list of people of of bands that I've seen live are very very underwhelming right. and would make many people chuckle at their hilarity. So now come on, you've got to give us at least one of these. Okay, so my, my my first ever live concert was Shaggy. <laughs> Shaggy. Um, Go on. Keep uh, going. Who were uh, um supported very ably by Mystique <laughs> once of Alicia Dixon fame. Um I've seen Daniel Beddingfield, who apparently has got to get through this. Who knew? Uh supported by his sister, who was probably more famous than him at the time. Um, and I did see the Kaiser Chiefs live at Elland Road when the boxing was there and they were very, very impressive. So I guess the answer would be the Kaiser Chiefs because I didn't, I don't hate the fact that I've seen them live. No, I was going to say that's probably the only one that gives you a, 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 yeah, a small piece of credibility there, I think, doesn't it? For, for what it's worth, not only did I watch Shaggy, but half the Aston Villa squad were behind me. Olaf Melberg was going nuts for it. There you go. There you go. That's what you tuned in for, folks. Find out what what music Olaf Melberg likes. But uh, yes, well, we've got another um, Glastonbury. What, 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 what about gen- you? What about you? Who are you going to see? Which, uh, which, yeah. Well, the best. Uh, I, I went to Glastonbury a bit in my uh, in my youth. Probably the best live band I saw there was either REM or the Manic Street Preachers, and probably, but I probably saw them 
maybe not at their peak, but around their peak. I probably I probably go back and see the Manics at their peak again. They they were they were very good. So yeah, I go go for that. But yeah, Glastonbury in the heat. Um, I remember going back in in 1999. That was a very very warm year, and Glastonbury in the heat is a is a is an interesting place to be. So we said, yeah. Put your put your sun cream on, lads. Ian. Yeah, definitely. Well you, hydrated, please. Yeah, and you Watts, if you're listening, because we all know you'll turn out like a bloody squashy, won't you, with the pink and pink and white. But yeah, so uh, Al Snow, a good friend of Mr. Perkins, has said. Which ex-Glovers player do you think I, Perky, Ian, is most likely to bump into around a late-night questionable life-choice campfire at Glasgow? For me, it's Al James Hannigan with trademark headband and a crate of Thatchers. Now, I would pay good money to see Al James Hannigan walking around the fields of Glastonbury with a, with a crate of Thatchers. Who, who do you think he, he should bump into? I think, I think he's going to find Nathan Jones yeah. somewhere showing off a ridiculous level of abs um, <laughs> in the in very stone short, circle yeah very short shorts yeah going nuts with about 17 pints of cider really you yeah. think I, I i you see i've got nathan jones down as a teetotaler I oh no that, i yeah. think he i think he uh quite the opposite you think yeah loves it when he when he when he gets on one he gets on one yeah yeah he doesn't he does not go by half Nathan Jones yeah. if I'm thinking about it yeah okay okay well I, I I would quite like the idea of um Angelo Belanta appearing with a with a great big bottle of champagne and spraying it all <laughs> over the um the questionable life choice campfire so yeah that's what that's what I would go for nice. um uh, so yes, well, we'll have to ask him when we uh, when he when he's next back on. We'll have to ask him what he did with his um, with his questionable life choices. So uh, that only I think takes us down to our last question, which is uh, from uh, Mr. James Healy, and it is uh, typically uh, surreal. Um, if you were to shave a sheep, would the wool be enough to make a jumper big enough for that sheep? There's quite a lot to unpack there. There is. And, uh, and uh, Ben Topman replies back, are you including his eyebrows? <laughs> which well, is, which is, I'm not sure is an obvious question to ask, but I'm not sure I've ever really noticed a sheep's eyebrows before, but there we go. I have a, I have a question. You can't answer a question with a question. Well, I'm, I'm going to answer questions. I'm going to try because why would you, if the sheep needed a jumper, why would you try and make a jumper? Well, it's wearing there, the damn thing. There, 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 there is, yeah, there is, a, there is a picture that goes with this of a of a sheep and a jumper. I think yeah. there's a picture of the sheep and the jumper. Yeah, yeah, right. It just completely thrown you, isn't it? I, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. Yeah, to be honest. Um, so yeah, that's that's a thing. I mean, oh, I've seen the picture. Yeah. Well, clearly, not only is it enough to make a jumper, it's also enough to make a hat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And looking at the jumper, the jumper doesn't cover the legs. So I think you'd have enough in the excess of shaving the sheep's legs to make the jumper suitable. Yeah. So, uh, yes, Jim. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah. you could. I think, you know, I think you're right. I think you'd have more because if you think of a sheep, the, the, its wool is, uh, is quite uh, like knotted, isn't it? It's quite uh, like uh, curled. Whereas, and I, and I bet if you stretch those curls out, you're going to get a lot more out of it, aren't you? So I think, I, I bet you could make two jumpers. You could have a spare jumper, I reckon. Well, there you go. Yeah. I, f- I, feel like, I feel like we've learnt. 
I feel like we've learned. I feel like Giles Moore was a long time ago in this podcast. <laughs> was a long time ago, yeah. Yeah, back in back in the days when things made sense and now they 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 really don't. But that is probably a perfect place to to end it, doesn't it? But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, huge thank you. Keep those questions coming, good and bad. Oh goodness me. End it. Just end it there, someone. And with a quick turn, skipper Alex Dock slams it in. Lindergaard making Morris backpedal. Davis looking to help it into the path of Morris. He's found him via the deflection. It's Aaron Davis. He could win it. He probably has won it for Yeovil.